you all in the name of the Lord Jesus this morning. Maybe you can just start playing that. My help cometh from the Lord. We welcome you all this morning. You love the Lord. Amen. It's good to be in the house of God and good to see all your faces here. Just pray God will bless you, those that have joined with us down in Washington State at the camp and wherever you might be and here in Canada and around the world. People are joining with us and we pray that God will richly bless you and we look to the hills from whence cometh our help. Welcome Sister Sharon here this morning doing grandma duty back there. Just pray God bless you. Amen. Verse 1.
I stand in awe within the presence of the Lord, in whom the wisdom of the ages lies, for in the raging of the sea before we go to prayer I claim the blood Jesus shed on Calvary I claim the blood Jesus shed on Calvary those precious blood
place to stand this morning, anchored and steadfast in the work of Calvary and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Brother Michael Ray, why don't you come and lead us in the prayer this morning? Haven't got any written requests here this morning. Brother Frank, good to see you. Pray God will strengthen you. God bless you richly. pertinent song this morning. Butter, uh, chatted with Butter Tom this morning. He wanted me just to give greetings and a little update on where, how he's been doing. He's he's home. He's finally home. Amen. It's the stripes of Calvary. Amen. That we've claimed these numerous days. He was 22 days in the hospital. Uh, this just this last little bit. And so it was a bit of a longer haul than he had thought. And, uh, and there's some, he was talking this morning, he said there's some valleys that you go through, but we're, we're on the mountaintop now, amen? I said, well, we're looking for a tabletop mountain so we can stay on that mountaintop for a little while, amen? But he's, he's doing really well. The doctors are really pleased with, with uh, the, uh, trans, the skin grafts and the transplants of the different areas on his, on his ankle. And uh, we're just really, really thankful. We've been claiming those stripes many, many days. And he just wanted to just to let everybody know how grateful and thankful uh, he is for all of your prayers. He knows many of you have, have prayed and lifted him up before the Lord. And so he just, he just wants to thank you from the bottom of his heart. Amen. It, we can say it works. It works. Amen. Let's bow our heads. And if you have a need, if it works for one, those same stripes will work for you. Amen. So lift that before the Lord tonight and this morning and we'll come before his throne in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do indeed know that Calvary's 
price that was paid, Lord, it was paid in full. Lord, there wasn't nothing missing, Lord, in the payment. Lord, those stripes that you bore for our our pain and our agony, Lord, you took that upon yourself, Lord. Lord, and paid the debt in full this morning so that we can lift up our hands and our knees, Lord, before you and say, Oh, God, I claim the blood of Calvary this morning. So, Lord, that my healing could be, Lord, paid in full, Lord. That my healing I could claim access to. And, Lord, whatever my need is, Lord, whether it's financial or, Lord, in my body or spiritually or mentally, whatever it is, Lord, there is nothing that was left out on Calvary. You didn't leave something on the side that couldn't get paid for, Lord. Everything was paid for at Calvary. So, Lord, may your people reach, Lord, with their faith in their needs, Lord, claiming, Lord, what you did for them at the hill on that cross where you hung and bore our shame. We sang the songs this morning. My help cometh from the Lord. My hope is in the Lord. Oh God, if that could just strike home in the hearts and the faith of your people, whether here in this building this morning, whether their homes, Lord, listening on streaming, Lord, wherever they may be, may their help cometh from the Lord. It doesn't come from man. It doesn't come from the whatever this world can offer, but Lord, our help cometh from the Lord. And Lord is hearing the different testimonies, even from Brother Tom, Lord, as he was in the hospital. And Lord, witnessing the different ones that are even in his hospital room and the the staff, Lord, that was there. Lord, they have no help. They have no hope. They have nothing. And Lord, they can see a son of God. They can see a light shining before them. Oh God, Lord, may we reach out, Lord, thankful for the help and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, our personal Savior this morning, Lord. Lord, we bring, Lord, your people before you. We bring the service before you. Lord, Brother Tim is labored. Lord, he's laid before your throne. Lord, seeking your face, seeking your thoughts, Lord. Not just words, Lord, that can be spoken across a pulpit, but, Lord, words of life, words of eternity, Lord, that can reach down into the depths of the soul and can turn a heart around. It can lift someone up, Lord, from the despair that they may be in because our hope is in the Lord this morning. Lord, we praise you. We lift up our hands to you and we glorify you. We sing your praises. You are worthy. And we lift you up, Lord. We raise your name. Holy is the Lord God Almighty this morning. Who was and is and is to come, O Lord. Worthy are you, O God. Our Father, our Savior, our Lord, our Rose of Sharon. Lily of the Valley this morning, Lord. Lord, so much, you mean so much to us, O God. And we lift you up in the praises of your people this morning. Bless your name, Lord. We commit our lives in this service into your care. Do as you will, Lord. Thy will be done. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, Brother Michael. God bless you. You can have your seats this morning. Sister Grace Beattie's got a special number for us this morning. She'll come and get ready. We'll sing while she's coming. I'm so glad he found me. <clears throat> well, I'm so glad he
Just one word before I sing. Um, I really struggled this last year with joy. (laughs) I have to confess that I um, felt like the devil was after me big time. And it was a real struggle. And then it was like, no, Lord, this is mine. I'm, uh, you know, it died on cross for me, for me to have my joy. And I'm just claiming it. And just saying.
Sister Grace, we appreciate that, and we do believe, we believe in the Lord is interesting. I was just reading in my morning devotion this morning, the prophet of God talked about believing, and he said that if 10,000 died after he prayed for them, he'd keep on praying, he'd keep on believing, and then he ratcheted it down even harder, and he said, if I was dying... And 5,000 rose from the dead that had died a hundred years before. And they rose from the dead and they stood before the prophet as he was dying. And they said, don't trust in Jesus. He failed us. It's not true. He said, I'd believe anyway. Praise God. That's our assurance. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We're going to invite our brother Tim to come and minister unto us. We're really looking forward to it this morning. Maybe we can stand and sing, Lord, I lift your name, your holy name. Lord, I lift your name, your holy name. Yeah. Hey. 
sanctuary. Lord, Lord, of the Lord. I'd like to welcome each and every one. Greetings to those out at the camp who are streaming this morning. God bless you. Good to see I would say good to see you. Good to see you in my heart. (laughs) I'm just imagining those that are there and they'll be streaming the service from there tonight at four o'clock. And so we're looking forward to that. I believe Brother John Andes is preaching there. And uh, we'll be watching that tonight at four o'clock here in the sanctuary or in our homes and greetings to everyone that is at home today. Uh, this is certainly getting tiresome. Uh, it is getting, uh, rather, uh, strained, but we press on. As, as Brother Murphy preached, it's not always easy. You know, what was the word? Um, weary but pursuing. The weary is not the right word. Hmm? Faint but pursuing. Thank you. And, uh, Though we grow weary of this present hour and the circumstances of it, we're still pursuing. Amen. We have a goal. If you don't have a goal, you're not pursuing. We have an objective. The The mind of the Lord has been made known in this day. We know what we stand for. Amen. We know why we're here. We know what the purpose of God is, and we thank God for that. And... Uh, I want to just bring you greetings from many brothers. Uh, brothers I speak to all over the world always send their greetings to Brother Biscoe. Say, be sure and greet Brother Biscoe for me. So I won't go down the list of all the names, but I assure you everybody I spoke to this week said, greet Brother Biscoe. Many people ask how Brother Biscoe's doing, how Brother Tom is doing, and we're so glad that Brother Tom is at home. Amen. Amen. Are you glad Brother Tom's out of the hospital? Amen. Amen. It may even be that the hospital is glad that Brother Tom is out of the hospital. (laughs) When you get a preacher like that on your hands, you know, you might want to, you know, if you're the world, you want to get rid of it as quickly, rid of him as quickly as possible. But I'm sure he left a lasting impact in that hospital. And may God bless the words that were spoken. You know, God's word will not return void. Sometimes we, we find ourselves in different circumstances. Uh, and things that are unexpected, but God knew they would be there. 
Amen. God knew all about them. And so be mindful of whatever situation you find yourself in that that God is aware of it and you want to be a tool in the hand of God. I think of our brothers in China and the ones that are imprisoned and and how that they never expected to be there. But yet I've been pondering a lot lately. Uh, you know, if, if there is a place where China sends people that really love God that don't want to uh, make their religion a private matter, but want to share it with everybody, they send them to prison. And, uh, and so I'm sure that there were people that were in prison that wanted more of God. And so God needed to send them some preachers. And, and I'm, I'm just in my thoughts thinking, there's probably a revival going on there right now. And... Uh, we thank God for that. I know it's not easy to say they're in prison. It's not easy to say, you know, people suffer for the gospel all over the world. But it happens. But in the midst of it all, God is glorified. Amen. We, it's not that we're without concern for anybody. We, we love and appreciate the burdens and all that people have borne uh, over the years. But God knows those that are His. And God will do what He wants to do to get His gospel to them. And then if that be true as we say to them, that is also true to you. God will do what is necessary. He's the one that's in control. Amen. Thank you each and every one this morning. Uh, I want to bring greetings. I see Brother Louise and Sister Shirley here. And... Uh, I have some, some, I would say some greetings from them, but they're not really greetings, they're, they're farewell. As uh, Brother Louise and Sister Shirley are heading south, South America. Doesn't say when you're leaving here, just any day. 24th. Uh, and so you want to be remembering, I'll just read this. They said, Dear brothers and sisters, Lord willing, my wife and I will be traveling to Argentina. The Lord has been very good to us, giving us the opportunity to do more for his kingdom. And may God use you mightily in the kingdom. And as I say, whatever circumstances you find yourself in, let God use you there. And he says, we want to thank you, our pastor, Brother Biscoe, and all the ministry and the believers that always support us with their prayers. God bless you very richly, give you faith, trust, and revelation of his word. And he says, we will pray for you, Brother Louise and Sister Shirley. Thank you, Brother Louise, Sister Shirley. We will certainly be remembering you and glad that you'll be remembering us. God bless you abundantly. Amen. You hate to see someone go, but maybe God has something in it. Amen. Maybe God will do something that we're not expecting. And so we, we the footsteps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord, which happens to be in our opening text this morning. So why don't we stand together and turn to Psalms chapter 37. Thank you, Sister Grace, for that special this morning. I, uh, I see it was very real to you. And it reminded me of Brother Branham talking about heartfelt religion. You know? That's what we need is heartfelt religion. You know, it's not something that's that's up here. It's something that's in here. And so we appreciate that. I was, 
I'll just share with you, I was watching my last service I preached. That might seem strange to you, but I, I wanted to see how I could improve. And, and watching my own preaching, I firstly want to apologize. I'm not a very good orator. I'm not a very good communicator, obviously. And, and my mannerisms are sometimes not very good. And I can think of lots of things to complain about watching myself preach. But even while I was watching myself preach to just kind of get some tips for myself to see how best, and the reason I'm doing it is because there's more watching on video than there is in the service, you see. And so I'm trying to learn how to communicate, how to uh, convey across the the internet. And as I was watching myself preach and I heard myself say something and, and then I said, I said on the on the video, I said, now how many feel that way? And I found myself raising my hand as I was watching myself preach. And I thought, I just raised my hand to agree with myself. <laughs> but maybe it wasn't myself. <laughs> Amen. So I was getting into it and I must admit I enjoyed the word if I didn't necessarily enjoy the preacher's mannerisms. And so... It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning, and I trust that God will let you look past the veil of flesh. You didn't come to see a man, but you come to see the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's just bow our heads in a word of prayer before we approach the word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just want to so sincerely humble ourselves in your presence this morning, O God. Very conscious, Father, of the supernatural things that you have done. And, Lord, even right in the meetings in the days gone by, the testimonies of you ministering into individuals in a very specific way. Till even someone said, I thought a question in my mind and immediately the answer came across the pulpit. Lord, that's not a man, that's you. Lord, you are the word that discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. Lord, as, as a human being, we have idiosyncrasies. We have, we have little habits that we do. We have little things that, that we just kind of are molded into this flesh. But Lord, it takes the supernatural because the words of a man are not worth very much. But Lord, your words are eternal. And Lord, we pray that you'll just take the word this morning, take the vessel and pour through the vessel the word that the people would not receive a personality. The people would not receive an intellect. The people would not receive something of man. But Lord, may the supernatural words, which are spirit and life, reach down to the souls of every individual, regardless of where they are, Lord. They might not be yet saved watching this morning. They might be an unbeliever. They might be a backslider. They might be the sincerest of believers or the or the most established of believers. But to each and every one, your word does minister. And we pray, Lord, that you'll just take complete control, bless the reading and the speaking of your word. We ask it for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ and pray in that name this morning. Amen. Amen. Psalms chapter 37, if you'll uh, bear with me, I want to read a few scriptures here. 
Verse 1, fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. I want you to notice as we go through some of these scriptures or read some of these scriptures, how much David speaks about the land the inheritance, the possession. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Notice he says, your heart, not your flesh. He says, commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass, and He shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him and fret not thyself because of him who prospers in his way because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath and fret not thyself in any wise to do evil for evildoers shall be cut off but those that wait upon the Lord they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while... And the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. If you jump with me to verse 23, just to save some time. You can read the entire chapter when you go home. It's a wonderful chapter. Verse 23. For such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth, and they that be cursed of him shall be cut off. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. That's the scripture that that we often refer to, the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. And he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have been young and now am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. Verse 37. Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together, the end of the wicked shall be cut off, but the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in Him. And the, and the church of the living God said, Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. You may have your seats. We are definitely living in interesting times as we observe what goes on around us. We're very mindful that uh, in the natural, these are uncertain times. But to the believer, these are certain times. And sometimes the things that you see on the surface that, that take our attention are not the things that we really should be looking at. 
There are often distractions that are that are upheld by the devil and and try and distract people or confuse people as to what's really happening. But I was observing with very inter- very great interest the the proceedings of the last week as it relates to the Supreme Court of the United States. Brother Branham says in the message in absolute, and it's in the message absolute that he often speaks of uh, the uh, Supreme Court. Because he said, the Supreme Court is the nation's absolute. He says, that settles it. He says, now in Canada, our friends from Canada can go from Canada to the Queen. But in the United States, it's the Supreme Court. That's the absolute. Sometimes we don't like their decisions, but we have to listen to it anyhow. Yes, sir, we don't agree with it. We don't like the decision sometime, but it's the absolute to this nation. The nation's tied to it. It's the end of all arguments. So now he's referring here to a couple of things. Number one, he's referring to a difference between a monarchy and a, and a republic. He's in, as he refers to Canada, he says in a monarchy, in a situation where there is a ruling family, a king or a queen... The absolute is the monarchy. It's not the Supreme Court. But in the case of a republic, we call it a democracy, but in America it's a republic. The absolute is the Supreme Court as part of their constitution. Those are the ones that have a final say. And, and what's happening right now in the United States as they as they move forward in the confirmation of a new justice to the Supreme Court. I want to just bring your attention to a couple things here. The argument that's happening because America as a nation says this is our absolute. You understand what I'm saying? This is the final say. Now to the believer, our absolute is the Word of God. Alright? So we know the Word of God is infallible. We know the Word is God. We know that, that, that this is where we go to and, and, and everything is grounded on the, in the Word. And, and that's very important to us as believers, but to the nation, a secular nation, to them, the absolute. If you, and I don't, I'm not preaching on the absolute this morning, I'm just laying a foundation. The absolute is a group or a body of people that have the final say over many things in the nation pertaining to the laws, pertaining to actions, pertaining to what is accepted human behavior in the country. Are you with me so far? All right. So their, their debate today in this hour is what is the makeup of that absolute? What should that absolute look like? In other words, what would be a proper reflection of those that have the final say in the country? Right now, six out of nine justices on the Supreme Court of America are Catholic. You may not be aware of that. I'm going to give you just a little bit of history here. And if the the one that they're looking at now is confirmed, it will be seven out of nine. Now, one of them, one of them they call a Protestant, was raised Catholic, but is now Episcopalian, which is Anglican. 
Now, Anglican, uh, it has about as much protest in it, which is where Protestant comes from. Anglican has as much protest in it as an overweight man has towards chocolate cake. All right? Not a lot of protest there in the Anglican church. They're not really an, they're not really a Protestant church. They're a backslidden Catholic church is really what it is. It's just a Catholic church without the Pope and with divorce. That really sums it up. And so, so there's, there's six Catholics on the Supreme Court. There will be seven if this justice is confirmed. The remaining two seats are held by Jews. Now, if you think about that, there's not a single Protestant on the American Supreme Court. Maybe that doesn't shock you. America was built on freedom of religion. America was built on the escape from the enslavement of the Catholic Church. But now in the Supreme Court, the whole Supreme Court is moving that way. You might think, well, is that different? It wasn't until the 1900s that actually there was more than one Catholic justice on the Supreme Court. From 1776 to the 1900s, the maximum there ever was of a Catholic was just one out of the nine seats, out of all the seats that were there. And it wasn't until the 1990s that there was more than two. But from 2000, uh, but since 2005, this next appointee will be the sixth Catholic appointed to the Supreme Court. Now, if you don't understand end time events, and I've thought, I prayed, Lord, maybe sometime I'll, I'll bring out the things that Brother Brown says about the end time events and how it pertains to the Catholics and the Jews. And these these end times that we're living in. I'll tell you what, folks. People in the United States that are Protestants have joined their hands with the Catholics. The mother and her daughters have joined hands. And now they have put in such a situation. You say, why is this important, Brother Tim? I'll tell you why it's important. Because seven out of nine of these justices, assuming this one gets confirmed, will have been raised... Under the belief that the word of God is not absolute. Hello? That ought to shock you. How, why, why does that make a difference? Well, it makes a difference in the same way if you understand how the Trinity doctrine came into it. Don't worry, the whole service isn't about this. I'm just laying some principles down here. The, the Trinity doctrine, how could the Trinity doctrine even come into play on the basis of an Old Testament that says the Lord your God is one God. Now, if you understand history, the reason that the Trinity doctrine even began to unfold was because of a language. A language called the Greek language. You see, in the Hebrew language, there's no word for Trinity. There's no way to look at God as three in one in the Hebrew language. But it was only in the Greek language a people that had a multitude of gods. A people that worshipped many gods and their language was built on that. 
And so because of that language now, it opened the door for the devil to introduce a doctrine into the church that is contrary to the word of God. And if you actually look back at the history of it, it is a debate about the use of a few words in the Greek language that opens the door for the Trinity doctrine to come in and become an established doctrine in the false church from 325 AD and so on and so forth. And so now we have in the, in America, America, the Revelation 13, 11, the lamb that rose up out of the land that spake like a dragon out of America. Now we have the establishment of the very religion that they're against right in the absolute of the nation. And those that are ruling in the absolute of the nation to their minds, the word Trinity is absolute. But to their minds, this is not absolute. They have never been taught that this is absolute. That's what made the Protestants, what the Protestants are, is this is the absolute. This is the word of God. But the Catholics have been taught that the church has the authority to change things. That the Bible is not the absolute, but the church is the absolute. I'll tell you what, things are lining up for the end time events. It's not about, oh, they think it's about Roe versus Wade. They're concerned about uh, overturning the the law that allows abortion in the United States. That's what the, the one side is worried about. Too many Catholics are going to overturn the abortion thing. I'll tell you what, I'm not worried about that at all because I know there's not one son or daughter of God that's ever going to need an abortion. Can you say amen to that? Get them saved. That's the answer. Amen. When they're born again, that's not a question. Amen. When they're born again, those things are not an issue. That's only an issue in a secular nation. But what the devil's doing, he's, he's, oh, the devil, he's shrewd. He just plants it and he trains his people and he brings them to a certain level till he's got the absolute of the United States that says, you know what? The, this word of God doesn't mean that much. But the church means everything. The mother church. Oh, saints, we're in a late hour. We're in a late time. As I was watching this, excuse me for taking my time as I lay some of these things in, there was a, there was a thought that came up, a, what they call a doctrine in the Supreme Court. They call it the doctrine of severability. I don't know if anybody else noticed that. And the doctrine of severability, well, it's a, it's a legal issue, but it's simply to say that Rather than the Supreme Court uh, squashing a law, they can actually take a part out of the law out and leave the rest stand. All right, that's their idea of severability. Doesn't mean a whole lot. Um, and so it's kind of like, they say it's kind of like bu- building with Jenga blocks. Anybody ever played with Jenga blocks? Eh. All right. Any wrong people? Um, you know what Jenga blocks are? All right. So if you if you take one block out, you hope the whole thing stays standing, right? And then you take another block out, and how many blocks can you take out till the whole thing collapses, right? And that's kind of what this doctrine of severability is. It's removing a piece here and removing a piece there and removing a piece here. I, I'd never really encountered it very much until I was watching the unfolding of events this week, uh, and and I thought to myself, this isn't an unusual thought. 
Because the denominations have been doing that all along with the Word of God. And we take this part out, take marriage and divorce out, take the original sin out, you know, take out drinking and smoking and, you know, all of these things that, that used to be wrong. They're not wrong anymore. Living like the world, going to movies, all that kind of stuff. You know, will, will not, will not, uh, will, a holiness standard and, and my, they just begin to take pieces out. I'll tell you what, there's not a whole lot left standing when it comes to most denominational churches. All right. And that's, that's kind of the idea that, that's prevailing in the land and, and amongst the people now. It's not just is a law an absolute, but what can we remove and, and as I began to ponder these things, I thought, oh, Lord, what what kind of an age have we come to where there's nothing held sacred in the minds of the people anymore to where they say, don't touch that. You know, the science does it in that they do genetic engineering and that they they add certain things and take certain things out of certain living organisms to try and change the genetics of it and they they hybrid certain things nothing sacred anymore the food isn't sacred the laws aren't sacred the bible isn't sacred there's nothing sacred it's just well i take what i want and i'll put away what i don't want but i want to tell you something this morning there is nothing about nothing that is able to be severed from the word of God. You cannot take one word from it. You cannot add one word to it. The word of God is the only absolute that stands in our day. They might take from living organisms. They can take it from science. They can take it from the government. They can take it from law. They can take it from this. They can take it from that. I don't care how brilliant they are. I don't care how great their minds are. They can never do better than what God did in the first place. You can have the most brilliant scientists. I watched a couple of clips of this judge that they're looking at confirming this week. A brilliant woman. Level-headed. Smart. Shrewd. You know, uh, I can't speak about... I was thinking, I can't speak against a woman judge. I named my own daughter after a woman judge. <laughs> you can't hardly speak against it. But yet in the midst, it doesn't matter how shrewd they are. There must be an absolute. And I want to say this morning, as we are believers here, there is no severability in the word of God. There is no severability to the bride. Now, I'm not just talking about words. I'm saying there is nothing that can ever sever you from the love of God. Paul, in the book of Romans chapter 8, he says, I am persuaded that neither height, nor depth, nor principality, nor power, nor tribulation, nor persecution, not things present, not things to come, nor anything shall be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. It's not an option. It's not dependent upon the mind of man. It's not dependent on the mind of a church. It's not dependent on a preaching say, a preacher standing up here and saying, this one's in and this one's out and, and we don't want these ones, but we want those ones. There's no preacher can put you in. There's no preacher can put you out. There's no church can put you in. There's no church can put you out. Paul says nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. 
If you can get a revelation of your position in Jesus Christ, when the bride recognizes who she is, she becomes an invincible army. So you become an invincible soldier when you recognize your position in Christ Jesus. Oh my, if we recognize that. There's no severability to your calling. Moses went out in the desert. He couldn't stop the calling. He couldn't stop his position. David had to leave Jerusalem. He couldn't stop his calling. You know, they tried to kill the prophets. They couldn't stop them. They tried to kill Elijah. They couldn't stop him. He was Jezebel's pastor anyway, Brother Branham said. She tried to kill him. She tried to do this. She tried to do that. It didn't matter. It didn't make any difference. God put him there for a purpose. And God put you here for a purpose. You have a place of influence. I want to get into this. You have a place that's that's untouchable. And when you get into that place, and when you stay in that channel, there is nothing the devil can do with you. Oh, give me something that will put me in that channel. Amen. That's why God sends a message. To put us in the channel. To put us in the place. It's not about, oh, I, I believe this message and what I stand for. No, this message reveals my place. This message reveals my inheritance. I won't look at the wicked. I won't observe those that, oh, they might be increased with the laws of the land. They might, they may prosper from the economics of the age. I don't look to that because I've got a place and their place is temporary. Brother, uh, the scripture says they shall be cut down as the grass, but for me, I shall inherit the earth. Hallelujah. I have a position. I have a place. And that place is unalterable in the mind of God. It's written before the foundation of the world. Nobody can take my place. And furthermore, nobody can remove my place. Whatever God has for me, that is eternal. Hallelujah. We could just stand up and sing and shout. Amen. We could just rejoice in that alone. That these are things that are just foundational to us as believers. If you really have the revelation of these things, then it doesn't matter what happens, does it? We're not looking at the temporary circumstances. We're looking at the eternal promise. There's no severability to your inheritance. You see... When Adam lost the inheritance in the Garden of Eden, that possession of the earth, he was God of the earth. I'll read your quote here in a moment. That possession passed to the devil, but the title deed did not pass to the devil. That's important. Okay? Because... While the earth is in the devil's hands, the rights to the earth is not in his hands. The rights lays in the title. And the title has your name written on it. And so there's nothing the devil can do to remove your rights. Though he's doing all that he can to destroy your inheritance. Okay? So the title deed went to God. 
And we were separated from it. Now, let me just go back here. I've, I've been the last couple of times preaching, dropping a little bit of this in every service. Now, Brother Bradham says in the breach message, and you'll find some great things said in this message, the breach between the seven church ages and the seven seals. And I was looking at this subject, and, I, and so excuse me if I read a little bit for you here this morning, because it really caught my attention as Brother Branham just laid in a very simple story. And I want you to see that this morning. So Brother Branham says, Adam's wife reasoned with Satan and then produced the product to Adam. And Adam, and Adam turned loose the word and sold out. Remember the day you eat thereof, that day you die. And when he lost his life, He also lost his inheritance in life because he had completely supreme control of the earth. He was a God of the earth. God's the God of the universe everywhere. But his son had the earth under his own control. Are you with me? He could speak. Speaking of Adam. He could name, he could say, he could stop nature. We say these things, they roll off our tongues. But do we really stop and think about it? He could speak, he could name, he could say, he could stop nature. How many of you were happy this morning when you got up to come to church and it was raining? Very few of you. All right. I'm happy when it rains when I have to study because I have to stay in my office anyway. It's not a temptation to go outside when it's raining. But we're sons of God. Why, why aren't we just say, oh, I don't like this rain. Stop rain. Go back where you came from. Let it be sunny all day today. You know, we, we would go so far with that and then it would become uh, too dry. Then we'd have to speak the rain. So there's a balance in everything. But we're not there yet as far as what Adam had. We're there as far as rights are concerned. We're even there as far as restoration is concerned. But we're not there as far as faith is concerned. And so we we have to recognize that we, we need to be closer to God. Otherwise we wouldn't be here this morning. Okay, you're still with me. Okay, he could, he could stop nature. He could do anything he wanted to. But when he did that, he lost his inheritance. It says, see, Adam lost his inheritance, the earth. It passed from his hand to the one he sold out to, Satan. He sold his faith in God to Satan's reasoning. Therefore, his eternal life, his right to the tree of life, his right to the earth belonged to him, but he forfeited every bit of it to the hands of Satan. He passed it from his hands to Satan. Therefore, it returned and has been polluted, and the seed of Adam has destroyed the inheritance that Adam should have had, and that's the earth. All right, so there we are. There's a there's an inheritance that went to the devil And now we've been operating by the tree of knowledge, and here we are. And so we realize that 
There's something, though, in this that the devil doesn't want you to know. And I know you're listening closely, and I realized as I listened to myself on the Internet, sometimes I just talk too fast and put too much together because of the time constraints. But if you're okay this morning, we'll continue on. All right. The devil knows that the only way that he can win, which he can't win because it's written that he can't win, but the only way that he can put off losing, let's put it that way, uh, is to keep the sons of God ignorance, uh, ignorant of their rights to their inheritance. And as long as he can do that, then we not, then we don't have our goals set right. We don't have our objectives set right. The devil is on the land. Brother Branham calls him in one place a squatter. He's a squatter on our inheritance, but he's not the owner of it. The sons of God are the owners of it. It's written before the foundation of the world. That's what's written in the title deed. That's what's written in the book. Now, it's important to have an objective, uh, an understanding of what the title deed is because the title deed was sealed with seven seals. You can't make the title deed something it's not because it's not something that's been unsealed all these ages. Only in the last days does it become unsealed. So therefore, the title deed is connected to the message of the hour. Therefore, those of you to whom the message of the hour is revealed, then you are a privileged people. Because the title deed is specifically revealed in this hour. That's why the Bible says even in Romans 8 that that all of creation groans and waits for the revelation of the sons of God. The King James says the manifestation of the sons of God. Really those two are intermingleable because if you have a revelation of it, it's going to manifest in your life. And so the revelation of the sons of God, the revelation of the title deed, the revelation of your inheritance, the revelation of your unseverability from God, the revelation of your position, the revelation of your place, the revelation of your rights, the revelation of all of that was sealed up until the last days. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall proclaim the last message to the world... And now we can't, we have to say the message is not something different from the Bible, but it's something that was sealed up in the Bible. It's the mysteries that were hidden down through the ages that could only be revealed in the last days because by those revelations, it will raise the church's faith to a level of rapture. And the rapture is only to come in the last days once every seed attribute of God is manifested upon the earth. This is not some little churchianity that we're playing. These are the attributes of God that are catching the revelation of who they are. Are you one of them? You might not understand every word. You might not understand every lingo. But I'll tell you what, these are the truths that God, because I've been studying the Constitution and the laws and things, when I hear truths, and they say there, there are truths, we, we view these truths to be self-evident. I'll tell you what, I view these truths to be God-evident. I view these things to be the reality of life. 
It's not the laws written by the government. It's not the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the the whatever amendment or whatever they got. Those are fine for them in their government realm. But I'll tell you what, the sons of God have received a revelation. They have received an unveiling. They have received a revealing of a mystery in this hour. We're not just church people. We are the sons of God. Hallelujah. The the seed gene of God made manifest in our day. There's things happening all around us, right on our inheritance. Brother Branham says, in the invasion of the USA in 1954, he says, How can you hold still if you're a man of God or a woman of God and know and see sin and things heaped and weighted and everything like that and see human souls going to hell millions a day and stand still? You can't do it. Somebody said to me the other day, you think you can stop it? I said, no, I can't stop it. Because God said, but one day at the judgment bar, We're going to pull out the big screen and flash the camera yonder and that tape recording is going to be played. And I'm going to stand and listen at it. And I want to hear my voice warning against it. He says, when I hear that, when I see that great play of people's lives before them, I want to hear my voice in the background. Warning against the direction the world is going. I was, I was thinking about that this week. I was, I was looking at different things of where this world is going and not that this message is based on that. But I'm thinking, oh God, is there not a few more souls to be saved? Is there not a few more out there, even in our ungodly country, hell-bound country that we're living in, that the people vote themselves and things into government that'll just allow every sort of thing and give rights to any sort of thing? And allow all kinds of perversion in the hour that we're living. And I say, oh Lord, help us. Find that last seed that we can be out of here. Because this world cannot stand. I'm sorry if that sounds negative to you. I'm not talking about the negative of the world. I'm talking the positive about the believer. He says, in God's power to transform, he says, notice today, high-breeding cattle, high-breeding plants, science comes right back around. The same science that does it says, says the same science that does it says this is what's destroying the whole, the whole human race. You read it the same as I do. Well, why don't they stop it? Is because they can't stop it. God's word said it would be that way. And if they think for a minute... They are instruments as Judas Iscariot. He's talking about science here. They're instruments as Judas Iscariot placing exactly the thing that God said would happen. It's doing it exactly on their own basis of science. We're there. What science is loosing upon the age. And humanity is suffering. Hybriding. Genetic engineering, all of these tools that they have learned to tap into the source code of, of life, the DNA, till even people are beginning to question whether the current virus is man-made or whether it's naturally occurring, it doesn't make any difference. But it's in the midst of it all, science has ruined their own selves. 
And they've ruined the people. Brother Brown said, it's like a Judas Iscariot. They betrayed the people. He says, in the unchangeable God, 1962, he says, when Pentecost was first born, the church was excommunicated too. That didn't stop the message. It goes on just the same. Jesus can't be stopped. Hallelujah. Talk about science can't be stopped. Destruction can't be stopped. But I want to tell you, Jesus can't be stopped. Who can stop God? He says, you can't do it. No, you could no more do it. He says, you could easier stop the sun. But you can't stop God. His program is going to move on. Hallelujah. So now I'm going to go back to the breach message. So Brother Bram just finishes talking about the inheritance and Adam losing the inheritance. The earth. And then he, he comes right after that to talking about the natives. And he says, I was at Tucson the other day. I stopped talking to somebody on top of the mountain, looking down. I said, what do you think that 300 years ago, the old Papago come down through there on his travois, I don't, I don't know how to say it, travois, and uh, with his squaw and children sitting on the back, rode out there somewhere and lived peaceably. He said, there was no adultery, no whiskey, no gambling, no nothing among them. They lived clean. Says the coyote come down the wash each night through Tucson there howling and the mesquite and cactus bloomed around on the bank. And Jehovah looked upon it and must have smiled. Now, there's a certain picture painted of native people. And I, and I want to say it this way. The native people, the way Brother Branham describes it, is closer to the lineage of God through Seth in the, in the book of Genesis than the way we live. The lineage of Seth were humble farmers, sheep herders. They were humble people. Look at how God made Israel. They were sheep herders. They were a humble people. God took care of them. God blessed them in their agriculture and that sort of thing. That was the way that God made them. Civilization comes from Cain's lineage. Is that right? So Brother Bradham now in speaking to the natives, and I'll, and I'll just say this, if there's, I know there's some in our church, if you're of native descent, never be embarrassed of your descent, your ancestry. I'm not talking about the current native population that maybe has gone sideways, and Brother Branham talks about that here. I'm talking about where it came from. All right? He says, Jehovah looked down upon it and must have smiled, but the white man come that way. And what has he done? He's dug up the cactus. He's polluted the country with beer cans and whiskey bottles. He's ruined the morals of the nation. And the only way he could whip the Indian was to kill out his food, the buffalo. All right, I'll come back. I'll circle back to this. He says, many of you might think that Geronimo was a renegade. To me, he was a genuine American. He was only fighting for that which was right, that God had given a land, a nation, and a place to live. Catch that statement. He's talking about inheritance. 
Now he goes to the native. He says, and he says the only way they could stop them was to destroy their food. He says, now take Geronimo, for example. People he's written about as though he's a renegade that killed a lot of settlers, white people. And it's not that the whiteness of it makes any difference, but the Western culture. And as, as there came a clash of cultures, then Brother Branham doesn't take the side with the Western culture. He says, those were the ones that brought in disease. Those were the ones that brought in drinking and brought in gambling and all kinds of evil living because of alcohol and whatever more. Now remember, Brother Branham himself was part native, but only a small part. And f- But furthermore, he saw the evils of the ravages of alcohol right within his own family. And he recognized that these are the things that destroy the ability of people to find their inheritance. And now he's relating it directly to the native people. And he, and he talks about Geronimo, Geronimo. He says, you call him a renegade? I call him a gentleman. He says, Cochise never would have surrendered. He was an old man. But the American army, they went out there and would kill the buffalo. And so he goes on down through that. They run excursions and off the side of a train and kill like 40 buffalo. Uh, Sharp invented the buffalo rifle. And he's talking about all these things. Why is he talking about this right in the breach message? There's a reason for this. He says, the Indians, on the other hand, when they killed the buffalo, they ate every part of it. They used every part of it. There was a religious ceremony. But when white men come in, the renegade is the white man. He's the rascal. He come in and killed the buffaloes and starved those Indians out. Any genuine man, any genuine man would fight for his God-given rights. Hallelujah. He says, it's a stain on the American flag, what they did to the American Indian. He says, it all belonged to him. It was his rights. He grew up here. God smiled on it. But um, the Americans or the settlers or the, the Europeans come in and they push them back and they couldn't defeat them. But for one thing. Destroy their food. The devil can't defeat you only by one thing. Destroy your food. That is the law of Western warfare. When you have two armies coming together and and there's a great loss of life, the, the side that can destroy the other side's resources will win a prolonged war. And that warfare came from Western civilization. I'll go further. Western civilization come from the tree of knowledge. Because that's the devil's method of warfare. Destroy your food. If he can destroy your food, he can defeat you. Oh, my saints. That's why God said, I will restore, saith the Lord. Amen. The devil thought he had destroyed the whole thing. He had chewed off the fruit. He had chewed off the leaves. He had chewed the tree down to a stump. He says, it will never rise again. But God said, I will restore it. I will bring that bride tree up. I will bring her back into position. How will he do it? He restored the word. Along come Luther and begin to pick up his Bible. He was a Catholic. 
He picked up his Bible. Not, not any of these other Catholic books. Not any of these other teachers. He began to read in the Word. And the Holy Spirit directed him to the Word and said, The just shall live by faith. Hallelujah. That inspiration from heaven struck that heart. He was a predestinated vessel. He was a man that was ordained to catch it for his hour. And it struck his heart so much it was engraved with a pen of iron. Nothing could take it from him. He says, nothing but the word. Nothing but God. Nothing but the truth. It's all exactly my inheritance. And he treated that word like his inheritance. Because it was the avenue to his inheritance. So now the church began to raise up in Luther's day. It began to shake off Catholicism. Why? Because food began to be put back into the church. Food began to be restored. Hallelujah. Something began to take place. They began to feed on something that was real. It wasn't just going to church. I was talking to Brother John about it. I said, excuse me, I hope this doesn't offend anybody. But we were talking about the current situation of the church. And lots of people haven't been to church in, during this shutdown. Even amongst our own congregation. And he was, he was lamenting that. The absence of live services. And, and, and of course, we get two live services here a week and they get one on the U.S. side. And that seems to be the best we can do right now. And, and he said, you know, some people are really suffering. And I said, Brother John, I'm going to take the opposite side. I said, I, I'm going to say that some people have been exposed. That they were only living from service to service. That their walk with God was only connected to their ability to be in church. And I admit that it has shaken some people. And if you're watching this and it has shaken you, I say you need to get back on your knees. You need to go back into the Word. You need to develop your relationship with God. You need to realize this. I was just living from service to service and, and getting something out of the services. There's nothing wrong with that. Being in church, that's a good thing. But there has to be something within you that says no matter what I happen, if I'm the only believer left upon the face of the earth, I'll still stand. It was mentioned this morning, if 10,000 die tomorrow that have been prayed for the sick, Brother Brown says, I'll still pray. I'll say, if 1,000 fall on my right hand and 10,000 fall on my left, it won't come nigh me. Amen. Because I have walked by the revelation of the Word of God. I have not walked by a church revelation. I have walked by a personal revelation of Jesus Christ personally to me. Hallelujah. The word has been restored. We're living in an hour where the, the food of the church. Jesus says, Matthew 4, man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Not just one word, not just one revelation, every word. After Luther, the church began to die out. 
The church begin to become cold and starchy and, and we know how the cycle goes and, and, and denomination begin to set in and along come Wesley. He wasn't satisfied. Yes, the just shall live by faith. Matter of fact, John Wesley was even quickened himself in a service where they were quoting Martin Luther. People say, don't quote those message books. Why do you quote Brother Brown? Wesley was quickened when somebody was reading Luther's message. Luther was no longer alive. Hello? You don't even know your history. I'll tell you what. There's power that lays in the message that God sends in every hour. And here's one messenger putting it down in a book. And here's another messenger that raises up and is sitting in a service listening to the words of that messenger. And God quickens him. Hallelujah. Sets him on fire. A firebrand plucked from the fire, he said. And he goes out throughout the world. He wasn't resting on the fact whether there was church or not. Again, I'm not trying to offend anybody here. We want church. Bible says, gather yourselves together in the end time. We want that. We want everybody here. We want the borders open. We want everything that we can have from God. But even if the devil tries to stop me, I'm going through anyway. If this is my last service, I'll be there. The government says next week, no more services. I'll tell you what, I'll still be there. I'll be there on Monday with my devotions. I'll be there on Tuesday with my devotions. I'll be in my prayer closet. I'll be in my walk with God. Oh, I got to stop here. The Holy Spirit is saying something here. Listen, saints, where's that solid individual Christian life? That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about churchianity. I'll tell you, every age died because of churchianity. Every age became cold because the church was the place, the only place where the people fed. If this is the only place that you feed, you will die. Let me say it again. Are you wanting to die? Are you wanting to perish? Let me speak to you. Don't perish in this hour. If church is all you got, you will die. You don't just have church, you have a message. You have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You have a prayer closet. You have time in the Word. We got Bibles. We got shelves that are filled with message books. We got all these things. Lord, feed me every day. Give me something every day. If it's only a nugget, if it's only a sentence, if it's only a page, I don't care how much it is. Lord, if I'm driving to work, let me listen to a message. I will not die in this day. You know, when Ruth and and Naomi were over in, in Moab, they heard, oh, they heard that there's God has blessed Israel and given them food. But this is our home in Moab. Maybe we ought to just stay here. No, let's go home. Let's go where the food is. Let's feed on the substance that God is providing. And let it mold our lives. Listen, church, don't become cold in your experience. Pretty soon you find yourself upset. Pretty soon you find yourself at odds ends. Pretty soon you find situations rise up that you can't handle. It's not because the situations are too great. It's because you've allowed yourself to become too small. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. Your food has been restored. So that you can claim 
your inheritance. Brother Branham says a man has a right to fight for his God-given rights. Hallelujah. Are you still with me this morning? Amen. Who's the deacon in the foyer? Oh, Brother Rickard, you're, you're filling the position today. All right. Nobody's left yet, have they? All right. Praise the Lord. Sometimes I don't notice. People can slip out. and I'm not going to take any more of this. I say, give me more. The disciples looked at Jesus. To them, a natural man. At the woman, talking to the woman at the well, they were amazed. We know the story. So they come upon it. The woman runs into the city. Says, come see a man that's told me all things. Is this not the very Messiah? It says, in the meantime, the disciples prayed to him, saying, Master, eat. And he said to them, I have meat that you know not of. Then the disciples said to one another, has any man brought him Ought to eat? Anything to eat? Did anybody, did you bring him? Did you give him some food? Who, who gave him some food? Jesus said, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and finish the work. I say as a, as a servant of God, my substance is to do the will of the Father. It may not please your human sensibilities all the time. I'll let that one sink in a little bit. You might feel aggravated sometimes at the way even Brother Tim says some things. And I'm not the hardest preacher in this church. But, but my meat is to do the will of the Father. And to finish that work. I can't be Brother Biscoe. What God wills for him to do, he's done it. He's got a legacy that would make any man envious. Hello? God has used this man. Excuse me, Brother Ed. God, and I don't say that lightly. I say I really mean excuse me for saying this. But God has used this man in ways that most of us don't know everything about. His closest family, maybe his wife, knows most of his ministry and how God has used him in different situations. But I am sure that there have been times in Brother Biskell's ministry that people didn't understand him. But yet he felt pressed by the Holy Spirit. To do it the way he did it. He doesn't answer to me. He doesn't answer to you. He answers to God. And in the, at the end of the road, which I pray you're not there yet. May God give you many more years, Brother Biscoe. Hallelujah. And much strength to go with it. Not just years. God give you strength too. But as he comes to the end of the road, he's closer to the end to, than he is to the beginning. I guess I can say it that way. And as he comes to this place, no doubt he feels like any man. And I'm just using our pastor as an example. But I hope you understand me. 
he feels like any man that would say, you know what, or at least I say, there's some things I wish I could have done better. But I did what I could at the time. And the answer to all of that belongs with God. And so then I say this morning that as long as you have an appetite to do the will of God, that's the most important thing. I'm talking about Christians now. If God has quickened you, what is your appetite? Because God has given His Word, and to the believer, our necessary food is to do His will. So when you get up tomorrow morning, what is your appetite? Is it to satisfy the flesh, or is it to do the will of the Father? There was Jesus at the well there in, in, in John chapter 4, as the woman at the well had just been quickened by the Word of God, and the disciples came upon the scene, and they thought, this man needs to eat some food. And it was good that they were taking care of his natural being. That needs to happen. But Jesus was so under the anointing, he says, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish the work. And I say, bride of Jesus Christ, there has to be something in us that has a burning desire to finish the work. Let me say it more emphatically. Finish the work. There is a work, a labor that has been given to the bride of Jesus Christ in this hour. That has been given to the bride. You are the body of Jesus Christ on the earth. We are that body. We have been commissioned. The food has been restored. And our necessary meat, our burning desire must be to do the will of Him that sent us and finish the work. We're not there yet. Oh, I guess I'll have to make it personal. I'll say, I'm not there yet. I look at all the needs out across the land and I, I look at different things and, and I know there's nothing can stop God. There's nothing can stop Him from, from fulfilling His word. God is sovereign and he, he shows his sovereignty and he, he brings his word to an unf- in an unfolding way that we don't always understand. And even Brother Branham discusses it within his own life, in his own ministry. And he says, surely I would have some knowledge of what I'm speaking of or God would never honor my prayer to do what he does. All right. So there's something about it that he's bringing to the people's attention. He said, listen, I don't claim to know everything, but I know something. I don't claim to be the absolute, but I know something. I've seen God answer prayers. And Brother Adam was discussing, you know, one of the great things of his ministry was when the vision would unfold. He knew if he could find the circumstances of that vision. Let me, let me explain that to you. He's a prophet. He sees visions. In the early part of his ministry, he saw a vision of a baby being healed. And, and, but there were certain things in the vision that he was pointed out to that were a necessary part of the vision. There had to be a hat in a certain place. There had to be a blonde-haired young man. And I'm just going by memory for, excuse me if I don't get it all right. There had to be an older woman sitting in a chair wiping her glasses. Alright? There had to be all these things in place. And, and he saw the room and everything where this happened. Now he, he gets picked up by a young brother, the blonde haired young man. 
And he, he says, well, there's somebody that wants prayer for their baby. So they go to the house and he, and he's in the house and immediately he recognizes that I'm in the right place. Okay. But that's not all the vision. But being young in the ministry, he thought, okay, I'm in the right place. Uh, uh, bring the baby. We'll pray for the baby and watch God heal the baby. And they bring the baby and they, 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 he prays for the baby and the baby gets worse. Why? Because he missed the vision. He got ahead of the vision. He was in the right place, but he wasn't in the right time. Are you understanding me? I'm just trying to explain to you how a prophet works. I don't work this way. I'm not a prophet. But this is how a prophet works. And so he sees, oh, where's the hat? Where's the old woman wiping her glasses? He realizes, oh, I've got ahead of the vision. But he couldn't say it because they try and fulfill the vision by their own strength. And so he had to say, well, you know, let's just wait. And they waited and they waited. Hours they waited. Brother Bessel's prayed for people. I've prayed for people. Listen, you don't just sit around somebody's house for hours waiting for something to happen. It takes some real character, some real stamina to stand that long. You feel like you're intruding. You feel like, oh, you know, these people don't want me here. Maybe I should go home. And, and, and not only that, no doubt he feels embarrassed because, you know, he prayed it didn't come to pass because he got ahead of the vision and, and there's different circumstances that are pushing him in different directions. You understand what I'm trying to say? This is not, ju- this is not easy stuff. This is not just, oh, well, you know, just click the fingers and there it happens. No, this is a man that has to stand with the gift that God gave him. No different than me, Brother Bisco, Brother Tom, somebody else. Everybody has to stand with the gift God gave you. You can't be something you're not. And so then, I hope this is okay this morning. Then the, the vision begins to unfold. There's a knock at the door. There's an old woman coming in from the cold. Her glasses fog up. The, someone clears a chair for her to sit down and she takes her glasses off. She begins to wipe the fog away from her glasses. The somebody that was about to leave put the hat in the right position. Now, all of a sudden, uh, God's training his man. He sees everything's in place. Now bring the baby. And see if he doesn't turn right around. He says, do you believe me to be God's servant? And, and they brought the baby. And of course, God healed the baby. Hallelujah. But what if he'd have left? He had a choice. His meat was to do the will of God. He had to suppress his human emotions. Whether it be embarrassment. Whether it be uncomfortableness. Whether it be his own feelings. Listen, sometimes it's not easy to tell someone they're wrong. Even as a minister, when you talk to people and, and, and they got ideas, everybody's got ideas, everybody's got different things they want, they got things that they've learned and, and yet you know something, as Brother Branham says, surely I know something by now. And you gotta tell people, no, you're wrong. And you need to make that right. And you need to go on with God. That's not easy. Because there's relationships and personalities and all of those kind of things. Brother Branham says in the message, Perfect Faith, 
He says, you're a Christian. You have rights to any redemptive blessing that Jesus died for you for. It's all yours. It's already paid for. You just have to believe it. Let's close our Bibles and go home, Brother Nathan. There it is. That's the sum of it. It's all yours. It's already paid for. You just have to believe it. Not imagine it, he says, but believe it. And know that it's yours and you can possess it. Now this is a part that I read previously a few weeks ago. Talking about Jesus. Jesus knew that he pleased God. He knew that there was nothing on his life. God had already testified This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. This is my beloved son in whom I'm pleased to dwell in at the day of his baptism. I'm pleased to make my abode in here. There's no condemnation to him at all. Now, Brother Brown says in many places, that's when the Holy Ghost comes into you. He says, when you're baptized by the Holy Ghost, it's God saying, I recognize your faith. Only the elect can be born again. Hallelujah. God's recognizing you as His Son. God's recognizing you as a right attitude. God's recognizing you as fully repented. God's recognizing you in obedience to the Word of God. Obedience to the Word entitles you to the token. And so in that recognition, He's talking about Jesus here. He says, but then He comes to you. He says, now when the same God comes to you and is pleased to dwell in you, to honor your Word, what your decision is, he said, and then he says, what was Joshua's decision? Sun stand still. Why didn't anybody else say it? Because it was Joshua's place to say it. It was Joshua's position. He was in the channel. He was leading the fight. He had come to the place. God had to encourage him. Be thou strong and very courageous. Meditate in the word day and night. Why? He says, thereby you'll be successful. Why will he be successful? Because you'll understand who you are and what I have done for Israel. Don't meditate in the news day and night. Don't meditate in the world's affairs day and night. Meditate in the word day and night. I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you. And he says, son, stand still. And it stood there. What was Moses' decision? Held his stick over the river, called for it to open, and it opened. And if you say to this mountain, be moved and don't doubt... In your heart, but believe what you said will come to pass. You can have what you said. That puts you back in the word. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm about exhausted you with the word this morning. We'll try and find a close here. Amen. When he's pleased, why is he pleased to honor our decision? Pleased to honor your decision. Life is full of decisions. You're a free moral agent. But when he's pleased to honor your decision, why? Because it reflects his own thoughts. How can he be pleased to honor your decision? Because you're in the word day and night. Because your decision is only based on what you believe that God would have you to do. Amen. Now we're either building towards a rapture or we've lost the vision. In every area of our lives, the Word of God is moving us closer and closer 
to the rapture. Are you still with me? Every area of our lives. Brother Bradham says in one place, he says, let's not build a fire on the same ground. He says, two fires in two nights. Let's build a new fire here tonight and a new fire up on the road a little and on until we see Jesus. There's no stopping place now. We don't want to be holding back in this age because the message is unstoppable. God has commissioned His Word in this hour to produce a rapture. I'm coming to a close here. I appreciate your patience. The shout has already happened. Second Thessalonians, the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. First Thessalonians, I guess. And the trump of the Lord shall, and the voice of the archangel and the trump of the Lord shall sound. And the dead in Christ shall rise first and we shall be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air. Once God starts something, there's no stopping it. God started by sending a shout. Brother Branham says in the rapture message, he says three things happen. A shout, a voice, a trumpet has to happen before Jesus appears. A shout, Jesus does all three of them while he's descending. A shout. What is a shout? Here we go. What is a shout? It's the message going forth. The living bread of life bringing forth the bride. The bread. The bread has been restored. The devil destroyed the food, but the food has been restored. Our enemy has been against our food, but the bread of life has come forth. The living bread of life has come forth. The restoration of the Word of God. The full revelation of God. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Everything that the mysteries had held back of what the redemptive work was done at Calvary. All that the atonement is paid for. Everything that people had just probed at. Everything that they had had a partial blessing. It has all been restored. Hallelujah. It has all been restored. The full diet of the full word of God. The living bread of life has come forth. Brother Bram says, what is it doing? It's bringing forth the bride of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. What is bringing forth? Your diet. What you feed on is bringing forth the bride. He says he's ordained these things to be. He must send this. The first thing when he starts descending from heaven, there's a shout. What is it? It's a message to get the people together. He says the first thing that comes forth, this is all out of the rapture message. The first things that come forth is his message calling the bride together. The next is the resurrection of the sleeping bride. That's the ones that died back. They're caught together in the trumpet, the feast in heaven. Why? That's the thing that takes place, friends. There's no stopping it. There's no stopping the message from producing a bride. Hallelujah. You wonder why we're burdened to get the message out? Because there's no stopping the message. You can't stop the message. It will produce a bride. Hallelujah. The message will produce a bride. Not someone claiming to be a message preacher. All right? Not somebody claiming to be a message church. There's people around the world that want to say, oh, well, people say over here they're in the message and they do this. And people say over here they're in the message and they do that. And that's all negative. That's always been around the gospel throughout every age. Go back and read Luther's age and the fanaticism that was there. It's amazing the things that happened. But the message produces the bride. Amen. 
I'm not trying, as, a, as if I could say a missionary, I don't call myself a missionary, but as a missionary, I'll say, uh, I'm not trying to get Cloverdale Bible Way to the people. Hello? I'm not trying to introduce Tim Dodd to the people. There's one thing this people needs. This is the message of the hour that was sent by a vindicated prophet that will bring them up into that bright stature. Hallelujah. He says, you're, you're not blind people. He's in the rapture still. You're sensible people. If I stood and said these things for prejudice, I say it because it's life. Because I'm responsible to God for saying it. I must say it. My message all the time, knowing back there under healing and so forth like that, was just to catch the people's attention, knowing the message would come. And here it is. Them seven seals open those mysteries, showing those things is what's happened. He says, I knew there'd be a message, and here it is. Hallelujah. You weren't looking for it. I wasn't looking for it. But here it is. God knew there'd be a bride. And here she is. Why is there a bride? Because the message is here. Amen. The message is here to move us into the bride's stature. Brother Branham knew when that vision come to pass that the visions were never wrong. That's why, as I said, even though Brother Branham is a man, he could he could reject the vision, I guess. He could walk away from it, I guess. That's up to him. But the, there was nothing ever wrong with the vision. He knew when he saw the conditions of the vision unfold around him, he could stand just like at Mount Carmel. And say, Lord, let it be. No, I've done this at your will. Let the fire fall from heaven. Hallelujah. I'm convinced that Brother Branham could stand at the end of his ministry and could say the same thing. I've done this at the Father's will. That has been my sustaining portion. I've done the will of the Father. I have finished the work. Paul stood there. I've run the race. I've finished the course. Henceforth is laid up for me a crown in glory. What was he doing? Declaring my father's will was the central theme of my life. I hope we can all say that this morning. Our father's will. When God starts it, you can't stop him. When when God gave him the vision of the boy in Finland, there was no stopping it. There's nothing that could say, well, you know, Maybe it's for another time. No, as soon as he saw those conditions, as soon as he saw that panorama, as soon as he saw the scene unfold, he says, all right, brothers, this is it. If God doesn't raise that boy from the dead, I'm a false prophet. Hallelujah. He knows where he's standing. I'll tell you what, if God doesn't take me off the earth, I'm not the bride. Because I've seen it in the word. The bride goes off the earth. Amen. When God starts something, God's going to finish it. When he had some people that were against him in a meeting, claiming to be FBI agents, and God showed them the whole scene, he just stood there at the service. He said, you know what? There's no FBI. He says, if the FBI came to expose them, me, let me, let them come expose me. I'm here. You know, you want to expose me? Here I am. He said, and then he says, there's no FBI. He says it's two backslidden preachers, one sitting here, one sitting up in the balcony over there. He says, you men were sitting at the table. 
and you were discussing this and 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 they cried out for mercy. Why? Because a prophet was standing there knowing God started this. I didn't start this. God started it. And if God started it, there's nobody going to stop it. And they paid the price for what they're doing. When God starts something, the devil can't stop it. I was thinking about Uganda. We just put an article up on the website. You can view it of the baptisms that are again taking place in Uganda. They shut down the country. They shut down the churches. They, they shut down people till you couldn't even drive in a vehicle. They shut down everything. You can't stop God. You can't stop God. God's still going out, saving one here, saving one there. In the last couple of weeks, they've had, I think, 32 baptisms because they can't gather more than 70 at a time now. They can't have a baptism of 500 people like they did in the beginning, but they're still baptizing them. Amen. The denominational leaders try to shut it down and tell anybody that you'll be excommunicated. I had the brothers write me a, a letter. I says, I want to put it in the next BFC, BFCR. Every church that has come into this message and and uh, has believed the message and have lost their shelter that they used to worship in. We call them churches. They lost their building because of denomination or whatever more. I said, I want you to send me a name, a place, and a number of people for everyone. And they, they took a few days and they sent me a list. I've got a list of over 150 places. Where people, over 150, think about it. With an average, maybe a, I'll say a hundred people. Maybe an average of a hundred people. That's 15,000 people. That have been put out of churches, put out of buildings, put out. Why? Because you can't stop God. So we don't care. We're going to serve God. It's been revealed to us. We're going to be baptized correctly. It's been revealed to us. God sent a message. Amen. To deliver us. Oh, praise be to God. The the devil even tried to take Brother Fred, take his life. You can't stop God. You can't stop God. I think of Ethiopia and how God started that work. And many had tried over the years to start a work in Ethiopia. It's not that people weren't burdened. People were burdened. Some even from Canada. Some from Africa and different places tried to do something in Ethiopia. But when God's in it, there's no stopping it. And God just started it and it continues to spread in that country and that's why we're behind it. Because God's in it. And it's our meat to do the will of the Father. Right now in Angola, they're doing the finishing touches of uh, a printing, a print station operation. A major print station operation, Brother Biscoe. I haven't even shared this with you yet. We've been working on it for some time. It has not been easy. But starting, we trust, November the 1st, we just got government approval this week to, to move forward with the project. Because they're just, they, the people, the country has just come out of communism. You know, you can take the boy out of communism, but you can't take communism out of the boy. Right? And so they still think like communists over there. And, and so we had to get government approval and all those things to be able to print the message, to supply the churches that had a great lacking of, of messages. Where did this come from?
Brother Biscoe could tell you. It's, it was a group that came to a convention in Germany. And sometimes I look back at that convention. Maybe others look at it differently. I look back at that convention and I say, why did we go? What was God doing there? What was, you know, sometimes you might think, well, you know, different, different influences and different things. You might wonder what's happening. But if it wasn't for that convention, we'd have never met those brothers from Angola. If it wasn't for that, meeting those brothers in Angola, we never would have been burdened for Angola. If we never would have been burdened for Angola, then the connections would not have been made until finally God sends Brother George Oyotola to Angola to work and brings his family here so that we can see this is the will of God and we're behind it. Amen. Brother Jason Jackson's church in Arkansas is, is doing the majority of the funding for this work in Angola. Why? Because God put it on their hearts. He sent, he sent a brother from their church to Angola to work. God knows what he's doing. When God does something, there's no way to stop it. Hallelujah. I could talk about Malawi and the translation work that has begun in Malawi in Chichewa language. All of these things... You, when God starts something, you can't stop it. There's people that have different ideas how to do it. I don't care. When God does something, you can't stop it. When God has an idea, there's no getting in the way of it. We have an inheritance. We have a portion. This world is our inheritance. And I'll go even a little bit further. You know what my prayer is? As I bring this to a close and the musicians can come. My prayer is that God will take the resources of British Columbia and Washington State. It's our inheritance after all. And will bless you with them to further His kingdom. May God take the resources out of our inheritance. This is our inheritance. This is our country. This, we sh The meek shall inherit the earth. This is our inheritance. And while we're still here, I just say, Lord, I claim the resources of this economy. I claim the resources of these jobs. Whatever jobs you give the people, just bless your people. Just bless them so much so their cup runs over. You ought to say, thank you, Brother Tim. You know, bless them so much so their cups are running over, their bank accounts are running over. Amen. Their mattress is running over. Whatever you choose to use. To store your cash. Whatever it is, may God bless you in such abundance that we can further the kingdom of God. Because my meat is to do the Father's will. Hallelujah. This rapture is unstoppable. The shout has gone out. Oh, there's so much could be said. I'll leave it there. But we have a right to fight for what is ours. Not only do we have a right to it, but we have a right to fight for it. My prayer, my burden is that God will bless each and every one of you so that you can in turn bless the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. I want to sing that song. Let's stand together. A little bit different message this morning. Tried to keep it simple. Let's sing that song, uh, 653, Glory to His Name. Down at the Cross where my Savior died. 
Down wherefore cleansing from sin I cried. There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to His name. Whatever God uses you for, glory to His name. However God has blessed you, glory to His name. For all the good things that have happened in, his li- in your life, glory to His name. Are you still with me? And for the trials, glory to His name. Our meat is to do the Father's will. Down at the cross. The cross where I see
Hallelujah. Are you glad you're a part of this end time move? I'm thrilled. I, I wish I was had the excitement of Brother Mike. He's got energy just to stand up here and shout and, you know, just really uh, give it. Well, praise the Lord. I'm glad I'm a part of this end time message. I'm glad I'm a part of what God's doing in this age. I don't want to be out there. There's nothing out there that impresses me. Everything that's out there in the world, it's all going to perish. Hallelujah. But I'm glad to know I'm inseparable from God. You are inseparable from him. Christ, when the, what does he say? When the bride has thus saith the Lord. She has the word of God and she knows what he wants done with it. Amen. Are you glad to be part of the bride? Let's just sing that little chorus. So glad I'm yours, Lord. So glad I'm yours. So glad your mercy has followed me. So glad you found me and you set me free. Are you glad for that? So glad I'm I'm sure if you're breathing that the devil has come against you sometime to say, you know what? You're not a Christian. Or how can you be a Christian if you've done such and such a thing? Or how can you call yourself a believer and have these kind of problems? I want to tell you something this morning that the Holy Spirit is telling you. God himself, you are inseparable from God. He has sent his word to you to let you know, I will never forsake you. That's what David was writing in that scripture that we never even hardly got chance to get back to it. He's writing it in the scripture. Listen, don't watch the world. That's not your portion. But I want you to know he's watching over you. I've never seen the children of God begging bread. I've never seen a lack of that revelation of the will of God to the elect of the hour. God is in control and He loves you. And He knows exactly what you have need of. And you just want to, as we go to prayer this morning, you maybe you just want to rededicate yourself and say, Lord, I just want to resurrender my life to you. 
I just want to let you know, Lord, I do believe your word. I am a believer. The things that you've spoke to me, I'm holding on to them. You just hold that in your heart and make that your confession as we pray together. Heavenly Father, Holy God, Creator of heavens and earth, Lover of the elect, Revealer of truth, Holy in every respect, O Lord. There's nobody like you, O God. We humble ourselves. We bow our heads before you. We confess, Lord, that you are everything that we have need of. And Lord, everything that the bride has need of has already been paid for at Calvary. Lord God, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are bowing before your throne this morning. There might be somebody that came to the service or somebody that turned on the streaming that said, Oh God, I'm in need this morning. I have a physical need or I have a financial need. Lord, you are aware of every situation. Lord, you will not leave your children to be begging. You will not leave them reliant upon the things of the world. You are supernatural, O God, that works out every situation according to your perfect will. According to that which you have determined is the right course of action. And so, Lord, even if there is a decision to be made amongst the believers this morning, somebody that has a a fork in the road laying before their lives, Lord, may you direct them now sovereignly. The footsteps of the righteous are ordered of you. May you nudge them down the right pathway. May you help them in the right decision. May you give them, Lord, that divine wisdom that only comes from you and pour in abundantly into every life. Pour in, O God, wisdom. Pour in healing virtue. Pour in salvation this morning. Pour in eternal life this morning. Maybe there's a backslider watching this morning, O God. Lord, may you turn them around even now and tell them, Lord, you're a part of me. You can't reject, but you must accept what Calvary's done for you. Lord, we commit each one into your hands now. We thank you, Lord, for this service this morning. Pray, Lord, that your word would go forth to every battleground that it was sent for, Lord. The general on the battleground, now defeating the enemy in every situation. We commit each one to you. We love you, Lord. We pray you be with those preparing for the evening service. Brother John, Lord, the service tonight. We want to hear from you again, Lord. We want to be touched by your word, by your presence. We commit all things to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing that one more time. So glad I'm yours. So glad I'm
Greet one another in whatever way you can without shaking hands. God bless you. The service is dismissed in Jesus' name.